Welcome to the Fish Casting Podcast. I'm your host, Tanner of Fish Facts TV, and this is... Hey, everybody. I am Captain Tim of Instagram at Captain Strip. All right, guys, we got another good show today. We're going to try to keep it a little short, um, but I heard, I saw some photos that uh, Tim may have had a productive weekend. Uh, I myself did not. Uh, I didn't get to go fishing, so I'm going to have to talk about something else more boring, but... Uh, Tim, give me the whole story. Yeah, uh, I'm happy to. Uh, this was the first time I've been out uh, offshore in four or five months. I'm not really sure. It seems like years. Um, but uh, I was lucky enough to have my brother and, and sister-in-law in town. And we were blessed uh, this last Saturday with a perfect day offshore light winds. Um, it was just great. I, I can't, I can't express how perfect it was. I mean, the, the conditions were flat as glass out there and we ended up just with a, a marvelous day. Um, ended up running out 42 miles, um, initially in search of those, uh, endangered American red snapper that we had a, a weekend open for. So, um, we went off in search of those and in search of hogfish. That was the, the, the two main things we were looking for were big red snapper and then on the way back in, target some hogfish. Uh, they're starting to stage up for their annual spawning out on some ledges. So um, that was the idea and it ended up working out. Um, we uh, were able to get, get a lot of white bait and um, some pinfish on the grass flats and near the boat ramp. Um, got excited because we had now a live well full of, of good greenbacks and, and live bait. And I also had a ton of frozen bait and probably 40 to 50 pounds of frozen glass when I was just chum. So we were, we were all set, um, made really quick time running out at 42 miles. I think we averaged maybe 33 to 34 knots. Oh, you were cruising. cruising. Yeah, we were cooking. We, we knew we had a, a, a stacked day in front of us. We, we wanted to catch a lot of fish and we wanted to get back before it was uh, dark, um, I like to get back uh, really as early as possible just so I can tend to the boat, um, take care of the fish and, and uh, relax a little bit on those long days. <laughs> um, so uh, one thing I wanna touch on is on the way out, I was seeing these big schools of sardines, these big, really big um, scaled sardines. And uh, we, made, we made the um, judgment that we needed to stop and get some of these baits um, just because they were, they were kind of everywhere. And, and my brother and I were talking and it's like, you know, although we have a, a lot of, um, you know, smaller sardines, greenbacks, pinfish, we want to be able to, to use what is out there offshore right now. Because um, you never know. Um, although we have a ton of great bait and, and dead bait and chum, if the fish are used to seeing the predatory fish we're after are used to seeing a certain type of bait, we need to match that. We need to be able to have some of these. So we stopped and got a couple dozen on a sabiki, um, knowing we, we still had some, a uh, couple more miles to go and we had a busy slate uh, in front of us. We, uh, we didn't get as many as we probably should have <laughs> in retrospect, but, um, we got a couple dozen of them. Um, and ended up uh, going out to this, this piece of uh, live bottom that I've, I've done really well with red snapper in the summertime on. Um, it's just this great big giant fish show with, with uh, Swiss cheese as we've talked about and a um, bunch of lane snappers and 
other pelagics like barjacks typically and and vermilion snappers and red grouper and gag grouper and just really everything under the sun it's just a really productive area and about 110 feet of water um out off the uh, the west coast of florida um started off a little slow uh to be honest with you although my brother he put a, a huge mangrove snapper in the boat um pretty quick but the bite was not what we thought it should be for the amount of fish we are seeing on our depth sounder and for how productive this place uh, historically has been. Um, started out, we caught a lot of juvenile American red snappers, not the big ones we were after. Um, they were all short, um, but we, we started putting together some mangroves. Um, we lost a, a couple really big fish out there. Uh, my brother lost lost something big on a, on a hand-sized pinfish that he was using a, a three-aught and he got smoked on and he wow. couldn't stop it. Um, I ended up losing a couple really good fish when I was kind of diversifying what we were doing. You know, like at first we were using the, the, the small greenbacks and then pinfish and then different dead baits. And then I moved to fishing chunks of um, Boston mackerel and that really didn't work. And then I, I caught a, a squirrel fish out of all things and chopped that up and then boom, boom. <laughs> That, that got eaten really quick, um, which, which is something I try to do when I'm out there. And if I'm not getting a consistent, really strong bite, I like to change up what I'm throwing. I like to change up the rigs, maybe go from a fish finder rig to a knocker rig, to a jig head, to, to you know, really anything. So um, I found that, that the, those big um, sardines that we caught on the way out, those were the ticket. Um, we switched to fishing those primarily, and it was like bang, 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 huge uh, mangrove snapper coming over the rail. Um, my wife caught a nice red grouper. Uh, we got a scamp. Um, so after a couple hours out there, we, we were pretty close to our um, mangrove snapper limit. We still wanted to go get on that hogfish ledge, and uh, we ended up cruising back in, um, stopped in about 27 miles offshore, and started fishing with the 20 dozen shrimp we brought. Um, for some hogfish. Um, my sister-in-law, she ended up catching a hogfish in like five minutes, which is pretty remarkable because normally you got to catch about 50 to hundred grunts and porgies <laughs> and lane snapper before you catch one. So she caught herself a really nice male hogfish. Um, after that, uh, I think we probably caught about 10 more, uh, primarily females. Um, another nice male my brother caught and, um, I caught a couple of females that were in transition. Um, I know we've talked before about certain species transitioning sexes as they mature, um, but I caught two really big females that you could tell were becoming males. Um, typically I try not to keep the females, but since they were transitioning um, and it was such a treat having my brother and sister-in-law out there, I wanted to, wanted to bring some hogfish home for them. Um, they don't have the opportunity up where they're at um, in the panhandle of Florida to get on the hogfish like we do over here. So I wanted to send them home with some good fish and um, turned out to be just an awesome day. Um, something really surprising that I was not anticipating where was the yellowtail bite out there. Um, typically on this ledge, and I fished there a number of times, um, maybe we'll catch a yellowtail snapper in the springtime typically. But this is, you know, the end of November when we were fishing there and the catch, we probably caught a dozen yellowtails and kept, kept, you know, six of the biggest ones because we at this point in time had so much fish, um, didn't want to be wasteful and, and keep more than we needed. But the yellowtail bite was, was unreal. I, I couldn't believe it. They were just biting one after the next. And it was like 
hogfish and then a yellowtail and a hogfish and a yellowtail and a porgy. So we ended up getting on a real hot bite. Um, did try something new for the uh, hogfish this time. My brother wanted to bring out some fiddler crabs um, because they, they do prey on those crustaceans. Um, he ended up catching a fair amount of hogfish on the fiddler crabs. So um, that's something I'm going to bring uh, in the future to try. It, it did for sure limit the amount of bycatch where other people were bringing in grunts and porgies. He was only catching hogfish on those fiddler crabs. So something to think about for the future if, um, if you're getting a lot of grunts or a lot of porgies and, and stuff and you don't want to catch them. So ended up being a great day. Um, like I said, it was a perfect day on the water flat calm boat ran great everyone caught good fish and uh you know it was really nice to get out there with the family so it, it was a, a fantastic time yeah you you've told me about your hogfish method before where you fish so many shrimp though. so it's interesting that the the crabs would help you wade through that but uh I, I got a couple couple questions tell me about the depth uh at the 42 and then at the 27 yeah so the the 42 mile mark we're sitting at about 110 feet of water um like i said that's natural bottom that's a, a swiss cheese um probably sea fan soft coral stuff like that down there um and then when we're at 27 miles out we're kind of fluctuating it's a ledge we're fishing a, a natural limestone uh, rock ledge and we're kind of fluctuating depending on if you're on the top of the ledge or on the bottom um and the sand underneath uh, where the ledge drops off between like 77 and 82 feet of water. So that, that seems to me, I like that range. I like to, to go to 80 feet of water. Um, when I'm targeting hogfish, yes, you can get them way shallower. Um, but I, I like it out there better. Um, for some reason I have less bycatch and I catch more of the males I'm looking for. And if you do have bycatch, it's usually cool stuff like other mangrove snapper, or in this case, yellowtails and nice porgies. Whereas on the, on the closer ledges, the 40 feet of water where you can catch a bunch of hogfish, um, you're catching just grunt, grunt, grunt. Um, nothing, the bycatch is not as good, so to speak, if that makes sense. No, no, um, it, it absolutely does. Now, what kind of rigs and how much weight were you using? Um, in both spots, we were using the same amount of weight. Um, I know we've talked before about light tackle and, um, you know, I like to use the least amount of weight possible to get to the bottom. Um, I don't like dropping down something, you know, that's two pounds of lead and 80 feet of water that's just going to um, plummet down. Um, so out there, I was varying between, uh, when I say out there in the 110 spot, I was varying between um, like two ounces and three ounces of lead. Um, out there, mostly I was fishing with uh, a fish finder rig. My brother was using a chicken rig for a while, same as my sister-in-law. Um, and my wife is using a knocker rig the whole day, uh, moving from there to the hog spot. We all transitioned to, um, either jig heads or, um, knocker rigs with an ounce and a half to two ounces of weight, um, and a two watt hook, uh, everything we, we fished with throughout the day and actually caught fish on were all 4,000 class rods and reels with 20 pound mainline and 25 pound leader. So. Um, my brother was using that bigger um, conventional tackle with a huge pinfish. I mean, this pinfish was massive. Yeah, yeah. I, I can only imagine what he caught uh, hooked because he didn't get it in. But um, he had that one just the, in the rod holder and it got slammed. But that's the only the only um, quote unquote big rod that we had out there. You know, the stuff that you normally would anticipate 
and think that people would be targeting these big offshore snapper for, whereas we use these really small 3,500s and, and 4,000 class rods and reels. Well, it sounds like you guys had just an incredible day, Tim. And uh, hopefully uh, one of these days I can get out there for something like that because, you know, I saw the picture. And, and if you're watching the YouTube version of this or if you're watching, uh, if you're listening on the podcast, just look at the YouTube. I'll, I'll post uh, the picture Tim sent me. It was an oppressive. Uh, he didn't even really cover uh, all of the fish, but they, they probably had well over 40 fish in the boat, would you say? Yeah, those were all, you know, the, the bigger ones that we that we caught. You know, like I said, I mentioned specifically the yellowtails. We threw probably, you know, six more back, threw a bunch of, you know, good-sized porgies back that we didn't need, um, a, a number of lane snappers, a, lump, a number of vermilion snappers, and a, a bunch of uh, mangrove snappers too, not to mention the short red snappers that we couldn't keep and the short gag groupers and stuff like that. So, you know, the, the, the fishing ended up being really good. We caught a lot of fish. We caught a lot of quality fish and uh, just had a fantastic time. Awesome. All right. Well, I'm going to do a quick little bit on spots from shore. Uh, I know we don't have a ton of time. And then I think we're just going to quickly touch on uh, red grouper as our fish of the week, because I know um, that's one that you guys caught this weekend. So as far as far as uh, finding spots on Google Maps, um, I do a lot of shore fishing around here. Obviously, when you're new to an area, it's hard to find new spots. Um, there's several ways you can do that. But now here in 2020, we have Google Maps. And Google Maps is a great resource you can use to find spots. Now, when I'm looking for spots, I did a video on this a while back, and it's a pretty popular video. Um, I, I have the acronym uh, PAWS, P-A-W-S, Parking, Access, Water, and Structure. So parking's pretty straightforward. Parking, preferably legal parking sometimes, you know, if you're parking in a shopping center or something in those canals, um, you are running the risk of getting towed. Uh, but obviously parking is important uh, wherever you go. Access, meaning uh, a lot of times, especially when you look on Google Maps, you'll see something, you'll see a parking lot, you'll see a canal, you'll see a little jetty. But then when you get there, there's a fence. So you always need to be careful that when you're looking for something on Google Maps, not only does it have the parking, but there's actually access to, and then my third element, water. So that is canal, river, bay, uh, whatever it is, depending on where you are, um, is obviously the most important if you're fishing. And then structure is one that um, I, is kind of depending on what you're targeting. You know, if you're going for largemouth or peacock bass, you don't necessarily need some kind of structure. But if you're fishing for snapper and you're just fishing an open seawall, yeah, you might catch some, but you're really going to want to be looking for a bridge or some kind of rock pile somewhere where you, that would draw the fishing. You know, bridges, um, any sort of locks or um, dams or anything like that. So if, if you follow that acronym PAUSE, um, I guarantee you, you'll find yourself some really awesome uh, spots. So the next thing to the red grouper, a Latin name, Ephenfelis morio. Tim, have you ever seen a red grouper before? Yeah, uh, I saw quite a few this weekend. Um... We, we get into them pretty thick over here, uh, especially in that deeper depth, like I was mentioning before. Um, we call them slop buckets. 
um, or fire trucks, uh, kind of their nicknames, fire trucks, because, well, they're red. Um, and, you know, a lot of times people say, well, they hit like a fire truck. They hit really hard. They're a grouper species. And uh, slop bucket, because they pretty much eat anything, anything in a slop bucket. You know, you can catch them on a live bait. You can catch them on a dead bait, a squid, a fish head, a jig. Um, you never know what, what uh, they're going to hit. They're, they're voracious predators. Um, and uh, as far as a grouper species go, they're, they're not my favorite one as far as table fare. Um, you know, our, our most common grouper species over here in my neck of the woods are your red grouper and your gag grouper. I greatly prefer the gag grouper over the reds. Um, the reds seem to be more sedentary and they, they get more worms. Um, which isn't an issue. Uh, you just got to look for them and pick them out, but they're a, a great fighting fish. They're, they're good to eat. They're, they're a staple around Florida and, and, you know, the golf, the golf was, you know, uh, built partially on the red grouper shoulders as far as the fishing community and the fishery. So, um, they're, they're a great fish to have here. They're a lot of fun to catch. And, uh, uh I, I ate one this weekend. So that's my red grouper talk. Yeah. We, we really don't have, I guess we have some here in Miami, um, the most of the keepers that I've seen have been in that shallower range, like around 30 to 40 feet. Um, I, I've not caught a ton uh, deeper. Uh, I actually don't know if I've ever caught a keeper before. I've caught a lot of shorts, like with most grouper, you know, you end up catching a lot of shorts. I know we've shot them before while lobstering. Um, so they're, they're down there with the lobsters, like I said, especially on those patch reefs. I caught a, a almost a keeper in the actually inside the bay uh, last winter. So they do come into the bay here in uh, Biscayne Bay. But uh, they're, they're a very popular species throughout the Gulf and the Atlantic coast from North Carolina all the way to Brazil. Uh, and like Tim said, they're, they're a staple and uh, they're, really, they're really awesome fish. Yeah, um, it, it's funny how you say that the, the bigger ones are closer to shore where, where you're at. Um, here, you know, this coast, you can, once in a blue moon, I'd say, um, when I'm fishing shallower ledges or, or natural bottom, catch a keeper one. Um, but those big ones out here, like if you're not fishing at least 100 foot of water on this coast, you're probably not going to catch a limit of red, uh, red grouper. Um, so you really got to travel for them. And um, you know, fun fact about them is I prefer drift fishing for them just because the bottom that they hang out on is that Swiss cheese that we've mentioned before. Um, and you can cover more bottom and you can, as you're drifting by, having a bait kind of bounce in front of them, that instinct kicks in where they can't window shop and look at it and decide, do I really want to eat this? They have it and uh, they hit it hard and uh, really pull. So that's kind of, you know, my technique that's preferred for them is the, is the drift versus if I'm gag grouper fishing or red snapper fishing, I want to anchor up. All right, Tim. Well, uh, we both got stuff to do this week, but uh, thanks for coming in and doing a quick one. And uh, I, we got an exciting guest. We almost have it lined up. I promise you this time it's going to work out. Um, and actually for next week podcast, I'm going to show you a podcast that we actually recorded last week because we didn't plan on recording this week. So I'm going to put up this one while it's fresh. And then you guys are going to get a stale one next week because Tim's going to be hunting. Uh, but the following week, uh, I'm fishing like four days. So uh, we should be chock full of content for our pre-Christmas. We might even be able to get two episodes in one week if we can uh, get this interview. Book. Yeah, sounds good to me. Uh, for those that are 
watching on Instagram, you'll be seeing hopefully some uh, some pictures from the woods. So uh, I'm not just a fisherman. I do like to spend time in the deer woods. So keep an eye out for that. All right, guys. Sounds good. Have a good one. Thanks, everybody.